Good morning, everyone. Good morning. So I, I was sitting down uh, by the river, got here a little bit earlier, and uh, it's just such a beautiful, perfect, magnificent day. So I have a question for you. Why are you here? Of all the places that you could be, you're here. So I ask you, why? I know this group, so I don't expect anyone to raise their hands. At this, uh, but, but it's a serious question. And what I really mean by it, and I do mean why are you here now, because there's so many things that you can do. But what I'm also saying is, why did you choose this path? Why did you choose Buddhism? Why did you begin this study? What's your intention for being here today rather than any other place? So I just ask you to think about it for a second and see if you can come up with an answer. Because I know what the answer is. I'm going to share it with you in a minute. And the other question is, usually we have a lot more people here today, and it is a beautiful day. So the same question is, why aren't they here today? Why didn't they come today? They come other days, but they're not here today. Again, it's a beautiful day. And the answer why they didn't come and the answer why you're here is the same answer. And it's not just why did you study Buddhism, but why did you study any spiritual path ever in your life or not study a spiritual path? It's the same answer. And it's, strangely enough, it's the same answer for everything that you've ever done in your life, whether you know it or not. And I realized this when I heard a quote from the Dalai Lama. And he was talking about compassion and how all people are the same. Not different, but the same. And he says, the reason that all people are the same is because they all, regardless of what they do, where they live, or who they are, want the same thing. And that's the reason that same thing is the reason why you're here today and others are not. And that's because we all want to be happy and to avoid suffering. Everything that we do in our life is based on those two things. Every decision, every choice we ever made, even when we felt it was against our own will, we did for that reason. Because the choice of not going along with it, we decided somehow or other we believed would be more damaging or more painful than going along with something we didn't want to do. Perhaps it was taking a job we didn't want, marrying someone that our parents wanted us to, that we didn't want to. But the motivation was always the same. We were looking to be happy and to avoid suffering. Not a brilliant insight. It's true. We all know it, but certainly not a brilliant insight. It's not just something that the Buddha realized, you know, 2,600 years ago. Uh, Freud came up with the same thing. He called it the pleasure principle. It's used in modern psychology. No one disputes it. And even on a biological cellular level, with even single-celled animals, as paramecium, amoebas, react to the same thing. They move towards things that bring them food and light and away from things that are cold and dark. We're always moving that way. Everything that we do is based on that. But yet, finding a reliable source of happiness is so elusive. It's so difficult. 
in many cases, for most of us, it seems to be an impossible task to do. So I'll ask you again, have you ever found any object, any material thing, that once you possessed it, was always a source of happiness? Whenever you touched it, whenever you looked at it, whenever you knew you possessed it, always brought you happiness. I never did. Have you ever found any particular person that once you found them and went into a relationship with them always brought you happiness regardless of whatever the circumstances were? Now I love my family, I love my children more than, than you know, life itself. But if anyone's raised teenagers, you, there's a lot of angst there. You know, they'll yell and scream at you. You'll yell and scream at them. Every single time? I don't think so. Have you ever found a belief, a belief system, a religion, a teacher, that always, regardless of whatever was going on in your life, brought you consistent happiness? Sometimes, yes. Sometimes, maybe no. Well, what Buddhism is about is this particular situation, is about this particular problem. And there's a story about, you know, we all know when, when Buddha was asked, you know, what is it that, asked by his disciples or when he would travel about India, and he would ask, what is it that you teach Buddha? And he would always have the same answer. He teach, I said, he teaches understanding of suffering and liberation from suffering. That's my teaching. He was with a group of monks and they were walking through a forest and they asked the same question and to illustrate it, Buddha reached down and grabbed a handful of leaves. And he turned to Bhikkhu and he said, you see this forest is vast, you see all the trees. My knowledge is like all of the leaves on all of these trees, that's how vast it is. But I choose to teach only this handful of leaves. And this handful of leaves is about suffering and the end of suffering. And the reason that he said that, as he expounded on this, was that this was what was needed for humanity then and now. There's so many things that we could do, so many things that are important. Compassion, loving others, taking care of others, uh, feeding the hungry. Buddha didn't say that this wasn't important, but what he saw and what I have realized for myself, and please understand what I'm telling you is I may quote some people, but I'm telling you what worked for me. What's true for me? It may be true for you. It may not be true for you. I'm not saying that you should believe it. Buddha didn't even say you should believe, believe him because he was the Buddha of what he wrote or what he said. He said you should listen to it, keep an open mind, try it for yourself and see if these things work. So there are three basic premises in Buddhism. Buddha, Buddha taught Four Noble Truths. Uh, eightfold Path, the Twelve Links, and then the Prajnaparamita Sutras. Uh, and basically expounding on different levels of liberation from suffering until finally ultimate liberation, which is total liberation from suffering. But what we need to be concerned with, or what I'm concerned with now, is how to reduce suffering 
in my life and the lives of those that I care about and those around me. And also it extends to all people because at a certain point, I think that when you find a happiness and a sense of security and happiness for yourself, human nature is to want to share it. So in solving the problem of suffering for oneself, it's the beginning of solving it for all beings. So one of the things, the basic teachings that I'd like to talk a little bit about that's always been an inspiration to me is called the three poisons or the three root delusions. And why they're called the root delusion because this is the, what Buddha said was the root of all of our suffering, these three things. And if we could cut this root, then we would be able to cut the suffering that we experience in this life. When this is usually taught, it's usually expressed as greed, hatred, and ignorance. Have you heard that before? Uh, I don't like the way that it's, it's expressed that way because I think to many people it's very misleading because it's a very subtle teaching and greed, hatred, and, and delusion is not a very subtle way of expressing it. And a lot of people may walk away upon first hearing this teaching and think, well, I'm not really greedy today and I'm not hating anything, so I'm doing the teaching. But that's really not what it's about. It's, it's a lot more subtle and a lot more depth than that. So let's just take a quick look at each of the three. Another way to express it, instead of greed, we can call it attachment or attraction. Remember we talked about that paramecium or that little amoeba. And basically all it says is when we find something that's pleasant, we're attracted to it, we want to possess it, we want to make it ours or part of our life, and we go after it. We want to grasp it. We crave it. And the same thing, but just on the opposite side, it's really the same coin, it's just the two, two sides of it, is aversion. You don't have to use the word hatred, it's aversion. And it could be anything from boredom, from a dislike, to a, a feeling of, uh, of unease about something. And when that's around, we want to push it away. We don't want it near us. If it makes us uncomfortable, if it tastes bad, we want to push it away. My daughter, if she has something on her plate that she doesn't like, she will actually pick it up and put it on someone else's plate. It's, you know, she did it since she was a kid. She's 22 years old. It's a little embarrassing. But it's an aversion. She wants to push it away. It's the same for all of us. If we don't like somebody, they give us a bad feeling when we're around them, we want to push them away. If we like somebody and they make us happy and they want to laugh, we want to be near them. We want to be close to them. We want to gravitate towards that person or that thing. Attraction and aversion. There's one thing that the Buddha talks about in this that kind of is like miracle grow for it. And it's called inappropriate attention. And what inappropriate attention means is that not only do we have an attraction and aversion towards certain things, but we tend to exaggerate their qualities. So if something is pleasant, we exaggerate the good qualities. If it's unpleasant, we exaggerate the bad qualities. 
And we could all see this, you know, we, we, we like somebody and, you know, we like a boy or girl or whatever it is that we like, or we, we eat a restaurant and we like the, oh, this is the best restaurant, this is the most wonderful person, they're so great, they're so fantastic, I, I met her, I met him, and she's just the most beautiful, wonderful, and, and our mind tends to exaggerate these qualities. And same thing on the other side, we exaggerate the qualities of something we dislike. This is where we start to get into trouble, where the catastrophe starts to unfold. Now, this craving becomes grasping. I must have, I must have this, and whenever we start to feel this, I must have, I've got to have this, this will make me happy, we're setting ourselves up for disappointment. We're setting ourselves up for suffering. When we have to push something away, the same thing. Because life is always changing. It's always moving in and out. Circumstances are changing. And even when we find something that we like, we have a problem because of something called homeostasis. That's when we experience something, it tends to neutralize after time. This is the way any organism adapts to its environment. Maybe cold when we first walk into a room, after a while we get used to it, we don't think about it. We hear the air conditioner, but then after an hour, we don't even know that it's on anymore. This is the way we use, this is, it's, it's a way that we survive. So we find that object, and say for me, one of the objects that I love is, is um, Haagen-Dazs ice cream. I, I really like Haagen-Dazs ice cream. And I eat it, I go, oh, this is so wonderful, it makes me happy, I love the texture of it, it just Love that Haagen-Dazs ice cream. If that was a source of happiness, all I would have to do is just buy a lot of Haagen-Dazs ice cream and sit around all day. But it doesn't work that way. Again, this is where this dukkha or dissatisfaction starts to arise, even on things that we like, much less dislike. Because what happens? Well, if I eat maybe half of the first pint, I'm okay. If I start to go beyond that, start digging past that halfway mark, uh, it starts to make me feel a little queasy, it gets to be a little too sweet, it starts to make you a little nauseous. If I had to sit down and eat four pints of that in one sitting, I would be sick, I would be miserable, the taste of it would, would nauseate me. So something that we think is a good thing could all of a sudden turn around and be a bad thing. But we know this. But what's the lesson in this? And this is where Buddhism gets to be really interesting and a little bit different. And basically what Buddhism is saying to us is, listen, there's a mistake here. There's a mistake of perception. There's a mistake in the way that we see things. This mistake is an illusion. The mistake is we tend to believe that the quality of that joy or happiness or pleasure or displeasure is somehow an innate quality in that particular object, in that particular person, in that particular ice cream, car, money, job, position. And that if we attain it and it becomes ours, somehow magically we will possess that and become happy. But that's a big mistake. Because it's never out there. It's always in the way that we perceive it. It's not a part of the object. It's the way that we perceive it from our mind. So is this a good or a bad thing? Well, it's a wonderful thing. 
It's just we've been going down this road the wrong way. We've been looking from the side of the object or what it is that we wanted to possess. And when we don't get it, instead of going, gee, maybe it's my own mind that makes me happy in the way I perceive things, not the object itself. That would be logical, but we don't do that. What we do is, you know, it's not the haagen If I had Ben and Jerry's, then I'd be okay. You know, it's not the, uh, the Ford Focus that I just bought that's not making me happy. If I bought a Mercedes, I'd be happy. I know that money must make you happy because I've been told that by my parents and my friends and everybody else and my partner, that money will make you happy, go out and get some. So it's not that money's the problem. Money's a source of happiness. It's just I don't have enough of it. I need more and more and more and more. Unfortunately, as though we try and do that, it doesn't work for us. So seeing these objects as having that quality that we desire is the main or root delusion. That's what it is. I said illusion before, now I said delusion. Do you know what the difference between an illusion and a delusion is? Let's, let's try uh, an experiment, okay? Um, put your hands out in front of you. Come on, this is fun. Right hand over left and intertwine them, thumbs together. No, 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 no. Thumbs go down, okay? Now, take them, and what I want you to do is to turn them so they're horizontal, okay? And now do this, thumbs up. Thumbs up. No, don't undo them. Thumbs up. Okay. That's a perceptual delusion. You thought you saw something that you didn't see. Happens all the time. It's just an illusion. If you believe that there's some magical power going on here, then you're deluded. Let me show you one other quick delusion. This is fun, right? Let me show you one other quick one. And this is how your brain tricks you. Just put your hand out in front of you and look at your index finger. Now I want you, what I want you to do is while you're looking at it, move it a little more than 45 degrees to the right, but keep your head focused straight. Don't turn your head. And now can you see, your, can you see it with your eyes clearly enough? I want you to be able to see it. You can see your nail, okay? Now what I want you to do is you have your right hand out is just close your right eye only. What do you see? Your nose. Keep your hand where it is. Open your eye, your nose disappears. Close your eye, you see your nose. Now, here's the delusion. Your nose is always there. Your left eye is always seeing the nose. But what your brain does, like a computer, it takes out all the pixels that show that nose and eliminates them and takes it out of your brain so it doesn't disturb you when you look to the right or to the left. Otherwise, when you're turning, you're always looking at your nose, but you don't think you could see your own nose. Try and see your own nose. You, you can't do it. But if you do this, all of a sudden, it appears. It's a perceptual delusion. Our mind creates delusions all of the time, constantly. What we think is reality is just an interpretation of our brain for the most part. It's tricking us. Now, how can this be a deadly thing? 
For one, when it comes to finding happiness and freedom from suffering, it's, it's, it's what jams up the works. And I'll give you a story. Back in January 3rd, 2004, a Boeing 737 took off from an airport in Egypt, 4.40 a.m. It was a crystal clear night, it was still dark out, not a cloud in the sky, sparkling stars. The pilot was Kedar Abdullah. He had 7,444 hours of flight time, was a, one of the most decorated Egyptian MiG pilots and a hero in the Egyptian-Israeli war. The flight took off. It was an almost brand new plane, just had undergone maintenance. Two and a half minutes later, it crashed into the Red Sea. 155 passengers were all killed, which were French tourists returning home from Christmas vacation, and all 13 in the crew. They did an investigation, and it took quite a while because the plane crashed in some 3,000 feet of water, and it took them two weeks to find the black box. And when they decoded what had happened, they listened to the conversations, it turned out he took off and he made a right bank. And he increased the angle of the bank. And what had happened, and all pilots are taught to, be, to avoid this, is that the human ear, the fluids in the human ear sense gravity, which is gravity. But in an airplane, the curve of acceleration the ear can't distinguish between up and down, what's gravity, and acceleration. And on that particular day, there was, because the sun was coming up, there was a ground haze. So the sky was perfectly clear, but there was a haze that you couldn't see the horizon clearly. So you didn't know where the horizon was. And he got into what's called a death spiral, where that feeling of acceleration, if you keep a certain bank, is indistinguishable from gravity and what your mind is telling you is up and down. And as he gets about a, maybe a minute and 30 seconds into it, the cult, you can hear the co-pilot is saying to him, no, no, you have to follow the instruments, uh, turn, off the, uh, you know, turn back on the autopilot, increase the power, straighten out, and he's, he's the captain, so in a situation like the captain is always right. And what he did is he flew that plane right into the ocean. The exact same ha thing happened years later to John Kennedy Jr., as you might recall, and he was flying from Teterboro Airport to, I think it was Block Island, and crashed into Long Island Sound. Exact same thing. Hayes didn't see the horizon. And pilots are trained and trained and trained, and this scenario is worked over and over and over again because the illusion is so strong that you want to, it's almost impossible not to react on it. You really have to be, notice it. So where his illusion all of a sudden became a delusion, which is when you know something's an illusion, which is a trick, a perception, and you still keep doing it. And what we follow in is we know that these things are so, yet we keep doing them over and over and over again, causing us suffering. So, what's the solution to it? Well, 
in Buddhism, there's two things. One is understanding it. That's listening to the Dharma, listening to the teachings. This is what we're here for. Hopefully, this is helpful to you. And the other thing we just did a few minutes ago, which is meditation. Now, meditation is taking us out of our minds and our projections of the past and the future and what we think it is and the illusion of what's going on in our mind and our interpretations to try to focus us on the moment of what is here right now. And there's a story of a queen uh, in an ancient kingdom in India. And um, she's walking with her aides and her advisors and she steps on a sharp stone and cuts her foot and becomes very, very upset. And the next day she calls all the advisors together and her counselors and says, my foot was cut, we must do something about this. This is a terrible situation. What I want you to do is, and you may have heard this story, is to carpet all of the kingdom in leather. So no one will do this. And the advisors huddle together and they go, oh, but, but queen, this will be, we, we, we don't have enough cows, there's not enough leather in the world to do this. And, no, 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 no. And they, they, they know it'll ruin the, the, the country, so they, they, they get together and they say, we have an idea. How about instead of carpeting the whole country, we just put the leather on the soles of the feet of, the, of our sovereign, of our subjects, and you? And she goes, well, that'll be fine. That'll work. And that's, of course, shoot. But the point of it is, what was important was not covering the whole kingdom with leather, but the point of contact with the earth, the point of contact with the ground. And meditation is where we focus on that point of contact with reality, with what is at the moment. And what we're doing is we're training ourselves to be aware, to be sensitive, not in the thoughts as they spin out about what we're gonna do after this, and what we're gonna do for lunch, and what we're gonna do here and there, or the terrible thing that happened to us yesterday. What's going on now? What's going on in my body? What's going on now in the reality of this world without all the interpretation of what's good and bad and what I want and what I don't want? And the importance of this is, is it allows us in daily practice to do what's called a spot check inventory. Dave, a spot check inventory. It's a little personal thing. Spot check inventory is, is throughout the day, whenever we feel uncomfortable, agitated, anxious, bored, we have a feeling that we don't like or we're feeling drawn or grasping at something that we think will make us happy, we can stop. Here's a simple way to do it. Stop, look, and listen. Remember when you cross the street? Stop, look, and listen. Everybody remember that? Maybe not, not this crowd. I had to learn that in elementary school. Stop, look, and listen, the red light, you know, and all that. So stop, look, and listen, just a way to remember it. What's going on in my body? What sensation am I feeling? What thought is driving this? Am I seeing this correctly? Am I in ignorance of what truly is, or am I awakening to what actually is? This is a way to deal with it. This is a training that we can do. And this is one of the things that this practice is about. I wish you all luck in doing it, and I hope that that's helpful. Thank you very much.